Welcome to the Wordy Pair Podcast, your go-to hub for all things writing, world building, and the occasional dive into the weird and wonderful world of fiction. We're breaking down the barriers between you and your next great story. Whether you're a seasoned scribe or just scribbling your first sentences, we've got something for you. We'll be discussing everything from crafting compelling characters to dissecting the good, the bad, and the downright bizarre in the world of fiction. Okay, this script says you guys are eccentric. Isn't that just a three-syllable word for weird no offense so whether you're in need of inspiration a good laugh or just a couple of weirdos to keep you company on your writing journey you're in the right place thanks for tuning in to the wordy pair podcast Everything in my own head feels muffled because of this headset. Well, that's how we're starting the episode, clearly. <laughs> yes. So, this is episode, oh my goodness, 13? Lucky 13? 13. Of, of the wordy pair, pretty sure. 14, actually, it's 14, because this is why you don't say episode numbers in your podcast. Lesson to be learned. Let me just triple check there. <laughs> we We look at things sometimes. I forgot to check the, yeah, episode 13 of the Wordy Pair, and I am Rudy. And I'm Justin, and this is episode umpteen aught. Umpteen aught. No, it's 13, I checked. I, uh, I just didn't think to check before we started recording. No, 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 okay, so let's, let's, let's not, let's not go through all that nonsense, but, uh, today... No, 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 the nonsense is good. We're doing the nonsense. We're doing the nonsense. I'm just kidding. We're talking about aliens. Yeah, well, alien and aliens. Yes. Two great movies, but great for very different reasons. It, there's a lot of funny things that happen in the world of movie sequels. Of course. And one of one of my favorite ones is everything that happened with the 80s action movies. Well, I, I guess technically Alien was what, 1979? Alien uh, was 1979, yeah. Yeah, but but there was just this this whole thing that happened. It it's it's like some weird James Cameron effect where a movie would come out, like Ridley Scott does Alien, mm-hmm. and then they they get James Cameron to direct the second movie, and it's still a good movie, but it's a totally different type of movie. Like, they're both technically science fiction. Yes. But, but one the is first... a slasher, and the other one is an action movie. Yes, yes. The, the, the first movie, you have all these people that, you, you you get a bit of the hard sci-fi at the beginning with them traveling through space and they get interrupted from their return home to go check out an SOS signal or yeah, what they think is signal. an SOS. Yeah, they have no idea what it is until it's too late. Yeah, and, and so in their investigation, you know, the, you, you get a, a good probably 40 minutes, maybe half hour, 40 minutes of the movie is just just things happening in space with them it's, coming across this mystery. It's nearly an hour. The so I, I I actually took some notes, and the point where they lift off of the planet, and in, you know the, the phrase "engage artificial gravity" comes in at about fifty one minutes in. So okay, so so yeah, and, and it's it's a very it it's a very atmospheric movie. Like that's absolutely a large selling point of watching this movie is that you get this atmosphere of people being 
you know, they're they're by themselves in space investigating something, and the movie doesn't. And a great no one job can of, hear them scream. Yes, nobody can hear them scream. <laughs> they they often hear each other scream, but nobody hears them scream. No. So yeah, but then the second um, movie comes along. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it goes from that. And, and the second movie still had a lot of that good atmosphere, and it really helped that they continued to use the... I mean, this was still at the time when they were using, you know, actual props and uh, and sets. Yeah. And they they took the atmosphere of the first movie, but then they sort of gave it this action-y edge where they've got... You know, the, the music is louder. They've got, like, military march music is yes, very, very prominent. Yes, so. You you have a team of Marines that's going to go in on a rescue mission. They they learn pretty quickly that something's gone wrong on a colony that happens to have uh, landed and tried to terraform the planet where the original alien was found. Right. And after a while, you know, there's a lot of it turn, turns into this uh, very, like, high-tension, not Japanese goblin, but a high-tension alien... Yes. That where you have all these people that are surrounded by an army of aliens at this time, which is much worse than just having to deal with one. And yet somehow the first one is the scarier movie because it's like these people alone with the one alien. Whereas this one is more like, oh, well, how are they going to handle this situation? And, you know, it's kind of kind of got the thrills of, you know, trying to escape from a danger but it's not like it's not like the scary type of thrills that you get from a horror movie if you want to call them scary, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of incoming violence in the second movie and and there's a lot of waiting for violence to happen in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah, the the gunfire is takes takes place almost as soon as they make contact with the aliens you're hearing gunfire and aliens are dying people are dying there's yeah that's, uh, that's another thing is that the alien in the first movie is basically invulnerable partly because of the equipment that they have but still relatively invulnerable and in the second movie the aliens are not invulnerable but they turn into uh a vulnerable but endless horde basically yeah and the first movie i i don't think that well, well, the first movie took care to point out that, you know, they, they can't really do anything that would rupture the alien because of its acid blood. And they're on a spaceship and they yeah. they pretty early on in the movie, uh, or at least pretty early on after they discovered uh, the facehugger alien, uh, they showed that the acid blood was actually a danger to the ship. You know, they're all right. running around like, oh, my God, it's going to eat through the hole. And it's just like this one droplet of blood that spattered onto a floor and and it's you know it, it eats through three layers of floor yep before it finally neutralizes yeah yeah so so they know that they can't really do anything to uh let the alien bleed they can't just put a bullet in it so it's probably not that the alien's invulnerable in that movie well uh, they have flamethrower they have, they have a couple of flamethrowers and stuff like yeah. that and they, they don't get they never get used in the way that you would hope that they would get used yeah, yeah, you don't actually well, you don't actually see them have any success against the alien with their weaponry. They they right. all kind of it, they they kind of have a they have the trouble of having to send each person individually against this alien because the others have other jobs that they need to do to make sure that that one person doesn't die. Right. 
you know, and of course there's, it, it, okay, so having seen the train wreck that was Alien Covenant, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to note that in the first Alien movie, there were actually reasons where one person would go after the alien as opposed to all of them. Well, let's so, let's let's break one of these down, right? So, okay, the first time. I mean, do we want to go in this far immediately, or do we want to kind of start from the beginning? Let's let, let's get through just this one point. Okay. Just to, so just the, to first, kind of... the, the, the first time they're trying to deal with the alien, they think that they're dealing with the thing that burst out of one of the character's chests. It's a little little snake-sized thing, maybe a couple of feet long and pretty small and, and thin. They think they're aiming for that. So they, they split their team of six people into... Two groups. One group is not part of the scene where this happens, but the other group consists of, let's see, it's Brett and Parker and Ripley working together. They have a a motion sensor that allows them to determine whether there's motion uh, of an object nearby. They go looking for the alien. They end up in a kind of a dimly lit locker room. The motion sensor goes off. There's a locker that's closed, so they have a net and they have a like a cattle prod. And the plan is to cattle prod the thing and grab it in the net. So they open the locker, and inside what is there is not the alien, but actually a cat. And we haven't seen the cat so far this movie, I'm pretty sure at this point. No, the cat so, the cat appeared earlier in the movie. Did the cat appear earlier? Okay. Yeah. So they they established the, that there was a cat. I don't know how the cat got locked inside a locker, but uh it did. And uh the cat runs off. Brett doesn't catch the cat in the net because he's like it's it's a cat we don't need to catch the cat but what he doesn't realize is that they're just going to pick up the cat again when when they go looking again so basically the reason they split up now is because they are look they think they're looking for a thing that's small and you know isn't super harm super dangerous but and so they split up they tell brett to go look for the cat brett finds the cat but brett also finds the alien and it turns out the alien has grown significantly in the last couple of hours just a bit Pretty significantly. And uh, it doesn't go well for Brett, is what we'll say. It's great how they did that scene, that, that whole scene where they, they find the cat in the locker and it, it dashes off because Brett, they actually have it in the net. And then Brett lifts the net up and yeah. they start yelling at him, like, why'd you let it go? And he says, it was the cat. And, you know, he's thinking yeah. everything's fine. But, but like, in a, in a little bit of clever writing there, you know, yeah. one of the other characters is like, well, now we might pick it up on the tracker again. We could have, you know, put it somewhere where we wouldn't and it's just a little touch like that where it's just like everyone's everyone's thinking differently in the situation you don't just get the idea that these are mindless drones going about their job they all have personality well it's not just that but like it also gives them a reason to a get a little bit angry at brett to i mean b tell him to go get the cat because you know he's the one that let it go he's the one that wasn't thinking through all of the consequences of the issue and so they're like, well, you go get it. We'll, we'll keep looking around here. And it's a very logical progression of how things end up, how they do, how it, it's very yeah. logical how things go. Right, right. So they separate. Brett finds the alien, or rather the alien finds Brett and... Right. Wait, Parker. Is that Parker? Mm. Parker's the black guy. I've got all the names mixed up. <laughs> And you said okay. you watched this movie twice. I did. I did you watch the movie. Her. No, actually, when you said Parker earlier, I was like, wait a minute. Wasn't Parker the woman? Who was no, the no, woman? That... I don't remember her name at all. Oh, not, her not name, Ripley. I, 
no, no, not Ripley. The other one, um, Lambert. Lambert. Okay, I, I, I thought she was Parker for some reason. The, the so, so there's a thing going on here that's very interesting that I th- thought was worth mentioning is that even though they're like a civilian outfit, they all address each other only by their last names. And there's there's a couple interesting writing points about that that I think are are worth kind of like going over real quick, like. It's very easy to have a bunch of one- and two-syllable grunts for character names if you're using first names. Because people will often, you know, have, like, a nickname that they go by. Like, you know, I, my, my full name is Rudolph, but I usually go by Rudy. Um, your, your, your name is Justin. That's two syllables. That's pretty easy. And, but but these, these names are, 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 are not really... First names are generally not very complicated. They're made of a very limited number of, of sounds. And so they all kind of would roll together. And they, they would also be, uh, another thing that I remember reading about is that intentionally they made the most of the characters, in the, in the original script, they made them, it didn't matter whether they were male or female, right? So one of the things that, that using surnames does is it gives you a larger range of, of, of names to use, and it, gives you, it allows you to have names that are a little bit more complicated and a little bit more, uh, what would you call it? Like um, a little bit, little bit more like unique. Like it certainly helps your casting choices. It's it's not Jack, John, Mike, and Bill and and Anne. It's you know yeah. it's Parker and 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 Lambert and Ripley and these are all very different sounding names. Um, and they're all about they're all about two syllables, one or two syllables still, but they're a little bit more complicated than than most first names are. It also provides a little bit of distance between the characters, which means that they they don't fully trust each other either. So there's a lot going on there. Yeah, and they they end up with this uh, with with this situation where they they're initially, you know, that, that actually early on there's a scene where Ripley is technically in charge of the ship since the captain yes. is not on the ship, right? And one of the one of the crew members, the science officer, goes directly against one of her orders with the justification that he was following the the ship captain's orders who right. was technically not in charge at the time right right and and that's how the alien gets on the ship they bring someone on that's infected i'm it it's a really interesting way to handle you know how each person ends up in the situation they're in because the the whole time you're watching this movie you don't actually know what anyone's motivations are and you you learn a couple of very small things early on that kind of set the tone for the rest of the movie, such as, you know, Ripley's adherence to the rules that she thinks are pretty important in the situation. Yeah. Ash's compliance with the captain, and a lot of what Ash does early in the movie is interesting to go back and see after the first time you've seen the movie. Yes, of course. And then the Dallas, the ship captain, who... Kind of just has this, you know. I just want to get the job done. Let's get home, and you know, he he's he knows he's a very competent captain, but at the same time, he's not necessarily following all the rules, and he's yeah. He justifies this by in in the situation in which they bring the alien on board. You know, he doesn't want to leave someone outside to die while going through a quarantine procedure. Right. So. It's interesting in the following scenes where you don't have a lot of what would happen in like like in a, in a modern movie, if something like that goes wrong, you would get a lot of scenes of 
like Ripley and the captain going back and forth about who was right and who was wrong and being angry at each other and maybe mistrusting each other. But that doesn't happen in this movie. Ripley is perfectly fine after the fact. She She's not happy that, you know, her well, order. Well, that's not quite right. She she confronts Ash. Right? She confronts Ash, but but between but, her but and she, the captain, there's no enmity. She, she, she's no recomm- Well, she, she's in in the same for the same reason that she's that she heeds the rules early on. She heeds the rules later on. Once the captain is back on, it's his ship again. Yeah. So so there, there's. I mean, what I'll say is that a lot there's there's a lot that's done without words in this movie. There there's a lot of character interactions that are quite subtle. I mean, we, we even get a hint that Ripley is kind of a that everybody on the crew sees Ripley as kind of a hard ass early on when she's talk when she tries to go to talk to Parker and Brett while they're doing some work in the you know bowels of the ship, and they yeah. don't they don't like her they they think she's going to you know kind of bother them, and so they they uh, play a couple of tricks on her stuff like that. They give her a, a little bit of a hard time, but in a friendly, joking manner, just kind of, sorta. I mean, they do that thing where they, where they, where they, uh, they have the gas escaping, so that, so that she can't be heard. Yeah, <laughs> which which is what I was. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's a lot going on there. I mean, there's something to be said about the amount of work that's done in this movie without words necessarily. Like, you know, we 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 don't even have any words at all until about six and a half minutes into the movie. Which is, that whole opening to the movie is just fantastic. It's oh, yeah. probably my favorite science fiction movie opening. It's, 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 yeah, there's a, there's a pan shot with a title screen and a couple of credits. And that takes a couple of minutes. There's, there's some very good, very interesting music that goes on over that. That kind of gives you the, like at first it's, it's very kind of calm, classical strings kind of stuff. But then, when the word "alien" finally shows up on screen, the there, there's a swell in the music, tension, and kind of like a like a screaming quality to the music at that point. Yeah, good old fashioned title sting. Yeah, and then there's then there's a couple of minutes of just pan shots, very slow pan shots of the interior of the ship, before we even see any of the characters. Uh, finally, we we see a human face at about five and a half minutes in, uh, and they don't even say anything for a minute. We get a long shot on. I believe it's Kane's face as he just starts to wake up from the cold sleep that they're in. Yeah, and it's kind of similar in the second movie where uh, I don't remember exactly what point they they show Ripley pretty early on in the in the freezer. Yeah, I mean the, the second movie goes the second movie goes about five minutes without a word. Yeah, the, most of the opening to that is a machine cutting a hole in the door to Ripley's ship that she escaped on in the first movie. Right. And after that, there's a brief moment of this robotic arm reaching inside the machine and scanning around to see what's in it. And then a bunch of guys in uh, protective suits come onto the ship and they find Ripley. And then the movie kind of picks up from there back on. I, I th- They weren't on Earth. They were on a satellite, right? They, they were. That was a deep salvage team. Uh, so... The people that found her were a, de- a deep salvage team. They brought her back to a station that was somewhere, you know, in a relatively civilized part of space. Yeah, they they weren't they weren't actually on a planet. They were on a some kind of satellite surrounding a planet. Yeah, a space station. Yeah, and you know the the beginning of that movie. If you've seen the first movie, you have a sense already that it's. They do a good job of making you feel like they're picking up right from where the last movie left off. 
Uh, you you learn a couple well, of things. Kind of sort of. Kind of sort of. I mean, you you. They're, they're starting. So so well. I mean, yeah. So there's a there's a very big time jump between the two movies, which is um, which is interesting. It does a few things for the story. Did you watch the theatrical release or did you watch the director's cut? I watched both. Oh, you watched both of Aliens. Yep. Yes. Okay. So. Oh yeah, I guess I yeah. did watch them both twice, didn't I? I, I don't. I don't know. I, I mean, you said you watched Alien twice, but that's and that's fine. But I don't have a director's copy cut of the of the first one. If, the, if there is a director's cut of the first one, is there? Yeah, there is. And the only the, difference I really noted in it was the scene where where Ripley first goes to the oh, what is it, the medical bay. Mm-hmm. Lambert actually kind of assaults her and starts calling her names for leaving them locked out for a moment, but it's like. For for two or three seconds, and then Parker pulls her back. And is that was was that actually part of the director's cut, or was it a deleted scene? That because I have a I have my DVD has a deleted scenes portion where I think some of those scenes are in there, but it was in like the director's the, cut. I don't know okay. what else was in the director's cut that was not in the original. Because I I know I know the I know both cuts of Aliens pretty well, but I don't know the director's cut of Alien, so I don't know what's in that one. Yeah, so I I think I think that's the only thing I really noticed. If there was anything else, then it must have been so small that I didn't even catch it. I watched the director's cut first, though, so I might have just been filling mm. in when I watched the original. Possibly. Uh, th- there there wasn't too much of a difference. I don't. You know what? No, I only did watch Aliens once this week to prepare for this, so I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I watched the director's cut. Of aliens, yeah, the the long version. Okay. So I I actually have no idea what was in it that was not in the original. I I I know the so we can go through that. I, I know I know the theatrical version of Aliens very well. So so I, I know what's been added, and we can talk about some of the things that were added and what they do and what they don't do. So the uh, original or, or so the director's cut. I know it had that scene at the beginning, all, all the scenes at the beginning where uh, Ripley was like in her hotel room and they were talking to her about what had happened, and they kind of no, that's uh, all in the, the theatrical cut. Okay, yeah, I the the thing the the, the 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 scene that's missing from the theatrical cut is the scene where she learns that her daughter is dead. Okay, yeah, so that's like the one thing that was like a really big reveal from the first and second movie. I didn't know which. I didn't know that was only in the director's cut, though. Yeah, that 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 scene where Burke tells her, "Oh yeah, your daughter," because because basically Ripley gets on this escape. She escapes from the what's it called? Well, no, the wait Nostromo. a minute. Wait yeah. a minute. Did in the uh, in the original theatrical release they didn't did they show all of that footage with the the mom and the dad on the planet going into the spaceship? No, no. That that's also that's also in the in the director's cut only. Yeah, because I I didn't remember that from the original. Yeah. So, so there, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of uh, there's a lot bigger there's, differences than in Alien. Yeah. Okay. That's that's fine. Yeah. The so 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 when Ripley escapes in Alien, she gets into this basically this little shuttle and she goes into hyper uh, cryogenic sleep. In Aliens, they find her after she's been drifting for fifty seven years. So, her daughter, in the in the director's cut of Aliens, you find out that her daughter died of old age before Ripley was even found. One of the things that does is it helps to motivate Ripley's character and her interactions with Newt later on. Um, that's not in the theatrical cut. And that's one of the things that I think probably should have stayed in the theatrical cut. Yeah, because I remember watching the theat- the original Yeah, and thinking to myself, well, there, 
there's there seemed like something was missing between them finding Newt and you know everything that they were doing to help get that girl out of there. Uh, it, it wasn't much, but finding out that she had uh, that her daughter had died, and now she yes. finds this girl on this, uh, you know, it, on this colony that is in danger, and she's going to try and rescue her. It gives her a bit more, it makes a bit more sense for her motivations for you know doing so. Right. Yeah, I mean, so so Newt is about the same age that Ripley's daughter was when Ripley, you know, when Ripley was in the movie Alien, right? Right. So in the in the cut scene in the director's cut of Aliens. Ripley says, you know, I was going to be back. I promised her I'd be back for her 11th birthday. So Newt's about that kind of same age range. So, um, yeah, there's, there's probably, there, there's a lot. In, in the theatrical cut, Ripley just, you know, takes Newt under her wing. In the director's cut, it's more clear that there's like a, like a, like a, I lost my daughter thing going on. That's not present in the, in the theatrical cut. It's it's actually kind of funny. In the second movie, she's, you know, they talk her into going back to the planet to investigate this alien problem. Oh, so this is a great series of scenes, actually. And right. Well, well, I'm I'm thinking more in terms of a joke. <laughs> sure, go ahead. You know, she's she's got Jones the cat from the first movie is with her in her apartment in the second movie, and yes. you know she tells the cat that you know you're you're gonna have to stay behind, so you know. You know behave or whatever i don't remember exactly what she said but <laughs> i like to think that you know they going into the third movie they should have set it up the same where she's like got newt there but newt like ha- <laughs> she's got like a cat dish on the floor and she just can't <laughs> process that this is a human being everyone's just right. a cat to ripley <laughs> and so she's just like you can't come along this time i'm going to die by alien <laughs> it's 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 interesting that both movies kind of start the same way with the introduction, with like the slow start to even get to characters. And then when you do, you get brief inter- introductions or you learn a bit more about Ripley in the case of the second movie. Yeah. You know, you get that scene of her looking at the old files of her crew that had died on her ship. Well, so she's not looking at those, at those, the, the she, so, so basically... When Unless that was back, in the director's cut. Now I'm confused. No, no. In the theatrical cut, the the, the the hearing happens. She's not looking at those files. The other people in the room are looking at those files because they're trying to understand her account of her actions on the Nostromo, right? So when, when, she, when they pick her up, all they know is that she blew up the Nostromo and ran off in a shuttle. And so they're trying to figure out why she did that. And they're trying to... And of course, the Nostromo was a very expensive ship and so the question is whether ripley has you know any responsibility for that loss right right um, so so she's at a hearing you know she has a deposition then 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 she goes to a hearing with a bunch of executives basically and she's trying to convince them that this alien is a real thing and they're very very skeptical of her and she doesn't know why they're skeptical of her she's you know trying to make her points and they're like no you know there's no indigenous life on this planet uh, you know, you know, blah 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 blah. There's no, there, there's no evidence inside the ship that there was ever this alien there. And she's like, yeah, I blew it out of the airlock. Then there's, you know, one of the greatest moments in, uh, in all of the alien movies happens at that point when they're just like, mm-hmm. well, well, I mean, we know there's not because we have co- we have colonies there terraforming well, the planet, and she's well, just like, well, what? Well, <laughs> well, well so, so, so that's that's the surprise that happens after the hearing is over. Right? Yeah, the hearing ends, and they're like, okay, we're not charging you with, with any with any criminal 
charges at this point. We're not going to try to like get the value of the ship back from you in any way, but we're going to suspend your your uh, your your uh, warrant officer license, and um, you know you'll have to figure out another way to you know make a living. Sucks to be you, but but basically in desperation at the very end, as everyone's walking out of the room, she goes up to the one executive Van Leeuwen and says, "Why don't you just go check out the planet? You'll find the ship." And he says, "Well, we don't have to. There have been people there for twenty years, and they never complain." And she's like, and that's the surprise, is that people went 20 years on this little planet, terraforming it, without ever finding the ship. And so that is kind of one of the one of the surprises. Like, oh, they went 20 years and they never find, found it. You know, it's one of those things where it's a little bit, it's a little bit um, unlikely by today's standards. You'd assume that they would have like a bunch of satellites in orbit and they'd be surveying from, from space and they would have found it, but... You know. but, but the way the movie is set up and the fact that it was made in the 1970s... Uh, well, it's 80s. Aliens was in the 80s. It, yeah, well, the fact that it was in the 1980s and the fact that, you know, you're looking at it from that technological uh, standpoint, yeah. it, it makes it makes sense. Like, like, the way the movie is set up, you're looking at... Uh, well, I mean, it, it even makes sense if you look at it more closely because of the, the, the atmosphere and atmospheric conditions of LV426 are not conducive to viewing it from space. It's it's a, you know, very stormy planet. Visibility is always garbage. That kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, and and it, that's consistent through the first and second movie. When they descend right. into the onto the planet in the first movie, it's through a lot of heavy cloud cover. Right, right. But, you know, James Cameron picks it up and follows up Ridley Scott's movie with these this much more like 1980s action flick style of movie instead of the subtle science fiction uh, storytelling of the first movie. Right. But it, it still is a very well-told story in that regard. You get to meet a lot of new characters and you know a lot of well, them so, a lot of them are these yeah. marines that uh have the kind of like there was definitely a mindset to what space marines would be like to people in the 1980s where just this, this sure. brash and ragtag uh, group that usually has like one competent leader and the rest of them are, you know, a lot of them are jokesters. Some of them are serious. Some of them are just there to get the job done and go. And they're all, you know, they're, they're all really good. Basically like they're, they're a, they're a group or a family that is, you know, trained to go in and take care of these problems and get it done together and get out of there. And you can see that, like, when someone, when people start dying, they, they get pretty upset about it, and they get very upset at the people that caused it to happen. Right. Well, there's an interesting point there about leadership, because you have the, this is a kind of, it's kind of a trope at this point, but you have the, the officer who's very inexperienced and the sergeant under the officer who's very effective. And so there's a, there's a, there's an issue with, the, the command structure that's used very uh, very well in the in the movie because you have a very inexperienced officer trying to give orders you have the sergeant trying to relay those orders to the to the rest of the the feet on the ground but the sergeant is also there with them and so he's vulnerable and when and and we all, we all know that uh, one of the first people to go down in the first alien fight in aliens is the sergeant and that completely destroys the chain of command because now you have an inexperienced guy who's trying to provide orders to people who no longer have, you know, a leader around them that they trust. They have this guy who, you know, has had two combat drops, including this one, and no one really trusts him. So he has to redeem himself later. 
but 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 yeah, there, there's 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 uh, th- that whole chain of command thing with the with the bad officer but the good sergeant is a is a pretty common trope at this point. But it was a uh, it was very well done in Aliens. Yeah, and and there's also that little uh, bit of background uh, leadership from oh geez, what was his name? The the Wayland Yutani guy. Uh, Burke. Burke. Yeah, yeah. Burke is. It, it's almost like. It's almost like he's the one like giving orders once they well, so, land. So, so he's trying to right, like like he's the company guy. Yeah, he's the company so, guy so, that's uh, kind of. They're, they're, I mean, they're probably funding this expedition because it's, they they have a vested interest in the colony. Right. Well, I mean, like I don't know if that was ever they're, established, they're, they're, but it they're not in ch- they're not in charge, but but like he's he's an important advisor kind of thing. Yeah. And and he believes he has some authority, but you know, technically he doesn't. But it's kind of like a courtesy authority where they they kind of listen to him when when things are good, but when things go bad, they don't listen to him anymore. Especially when they find good reasons not to. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of character interaction in Aliens that doesn't happen in Aliens so much, like um, like between Bishop and Ripley, and between Bishop, yeah, Bishop and Ripley, between Apone and Hudson. Between uh, 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 Drake and Vasquez, between Gorman and Vasquez, uh, th- there's a lot of character pairings where there's something going on in Aliens, and there's 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 less of that in Alien, uh, but it's not that doesn't make Alien bad. It just means that there's a little bit less focus on character because it's a slasher movie, y- you know. It's a different yeah, type you... of storytelling. I mean, they fleshed out yeah. the characters in Alien pretty well for what they needed them for, and. One of the degree, things yeah. that one of the things I really liked about it was when you go back and watch it again. The first time you watched it, you might not have noticed all the yeah. different times that a lot of the sto- early storytelling for Ash was in facial expressions. Sure, like, like when he stops Ripley from going out to let the others know that the signal might have been a warning. Right, and it, but but he gives a good reason. He he says by the time you get there, they'll know if it's a warning or not. And then it's almost like he has this worried expression on his face, but you don't really know why he has a worried expression. Mm-hmm. And later in the movie, you have the scene, you know, the famous scene where the alien pops out of uh, out of the guy's chest. Yeah. Where there, there's this long moment where the science officer, who is probably the best medically trained person on the ship, I mean, very likely that he is. Yes. He is kind of sitting back and watching like everyone else is jumping up and trying to help uh to help this guy and he's just sort of watching for a moment and he doesn't take any action until it gets to the point where he's like he's he's going into a seizure and then he gets up like it's an emergency up until that point it's almost like he's observing this and until you know his motivations in the movie uh yeah. that that doesn't really th- that might not come off as odd at first it might just be oh well he, he's just like what's going on here is something wrong but then when you learn later on that he is actually there for a specific reason, it's like, oh, he he was observing what was happening and he was almost yeah. like he was interested in knowing what was about to happen. Well he doesn't he doesn't do much either. In fact, one of them is about to like try to stab the alien with a fork and he's like, No, don't touch it, don't touch it and he lets it you know, he basically stops the guy from from forking it and lets it get away. Yeah. There's a it- lot going on there. And it's it's hard to tell what his motivation for that is because we've already established by that time that the aliens probably have acid for their blood, just like the facehugger right. thing. Right, right. 
So that, it, that's a, that's a reasonable that's a reasonable assumption. But like at the same time, you would expect the other crew members not to not to think that either. But but maybe the science officer would. Yeah. So so he, whether done on purpose or or because he legitimately thought that was what should be done, yeah. there's there's no way for the other characters to really you know figure out know. his his yeah. motivation in that moment. And it's one of them things where it's like, I, I probably, I think I missed all of that until I went back and watched it a second time. Then I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Ashes in, um, it's interesting because, because there's, there's the trope of the, the cowardly science officer, right? Um, and that's not, that's not what Ash is. Ash doesn't ever, like, like, like there, there, there's, there's, there's been stories and shows and movies where like the scientist is the is the cowardly guy and you know he something happens that he doesn't expect and he freaks out and he freezes up or something like that right and so you know it would be one thing if ash freaked out at you know this thing coming out of this coming you know this thing bursting out of kane's chest or you know this alien growing from you know something two feet long and probably 10 pounds to something seven feet tall and and you know 300 pounds in you know a couple of a couple of hours right like you would think that he would be you would think that if he were being effective it was be, it would be because of that kind of shock but it's not it's clearly not they you know he's he's always very calm and he's always looking around at things in a very kind of detached way you know that could be you know th- there's a lot going on there i would say well i mean we don't have to hide the fact that he's a robot for well, spoilers. no, we I don't. Mean, no, no, I, I know we're we're, it's gonna, from we're spoiling whole, <laughs> We're spoiling. We're spoiling both both movies if people haven't figured that out yet. Uh, yeah. thirty eight minutes in, but um, yeah, I mean, he, but so so there's a lot going on there too because like, how did the company know that there was that signal there? You know, if they knew that there was a signal there, wouldn't another ship have stopped already? Kind of thing. There's there's a few things going on there. It's really all. It, it's kind of weird that the company seems to have. I don't know if. I don't know if the way that the movie presented it was that the company knew there was some kind of organic life there or not. It's not very clear. It's because... not clear. It's not clear. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, 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 there's a few things that go toward the they knew hypothesis. And that's number one, that they replaced the science officer with Ash two days before they left on this particular mission. N- number two, that that mother has these special orders for what to do in case of an alien you know, infestation. There's 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 definitely a few things that that go in favor of the company knowing what was out there, but then but like at the same time it seems it seems like there's also some points that could go the other way like 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 that that thing in their contract that they have to check out possible signals of alien life is is something that you might expect in a, in a contract like especially in a world where there isn't any intelligent life outside of humans as far as you can tell. Like there aren't any sentient aliens in the universe of Alien and Aliens. It's a very lonely universe, and so you would, you would almost, you you could almost believe that the company would be like, "Hey, if you find something that you think might actually be an alien that might have sentience and making a signal, you got to go check it out." I mean, we got to know, right? Yeah. Like that's not necessarily harmful, but the fact that the the first alien that they find that is, you know, moderately intelligent. Is this you know horrible killing machine is also you know is something that that you wouldn't expect necessarily. Well, if we just take the first movie on its face, the most likely scenario seems to be 
that, you know, just just the fact that they replaced the science officer, I yeah. I kind of lean towards the idea that that's a that's a big hint. Yeah. Well, well, uh, so they don't necessarily know what's there, but they found a signal, and so their plan is to reroute this ship close to this signal on its return trip so that they can have these people investigate. And then once they realize that there's organic life on the spaceship that they find, that's when the orders come in from Mother to to preserve the organism at the cost of even the crew. Yeah. Like, like the timing for it is just either either they knew ahead of time and this was always the plan or this is a plan that was made on the fly. And it seems like it's a plan that was made on the fly because there's no indication anywhere that anyone else was aware of what was actually on that ship. Well, right. There, there's a I mean, I mean, you know, if there was a secret dude on Earth who was like, oh, yeah, uh, we know that there's a alien here and it's going to be this great bioweapon. If, if, you know. There's, it's it's entirely possible that that information would have you know gone, uh, would would have vanished in the fifty seven years between movies, right? Like, yeah, like that would be something that, you know, Executive A would never tell anybody, and he would burn that that piece of paper kind of thing, uh, once once the ship didn't come back. Well, I mean, okay, so we're we're forty three minutes in though. Let's maybe let's talk about some of the uh the, some of the writing and like compare and contrast some things in like not just the first two movies, but. I, I was kind of hinting earlier at this idea that, you know, when Dallas has to go into the uh, the ducts by himself to fish out this alien, yeah, th- there was a good reason for it. Obviously, only one person can really maneuver around inside these ducts. They have the evidence from Parker's witnessing of it that the creature crawled into the ventilation shafts and... So so they, they formulate this plan where they're going to try and drive it to the airlock and right. jettison it. So Dallas is in there alone. He's got the team backing him up, telling him, you know, where they see the alien coming from using the device that Ash cooked up. Uh, he's got a flamethrower. He's going to try and use the flamethrower to prod the alien in uh, into the place they want it. They're sealing yeah. up the vents behind him as he goes so the alien can't double back on him in any way. Right. And this is this is very logic this is a very logical reason why he ends up in a shaft with a killer alien that rips him to pieces or you know actually doesn't rip him to pieces because we find out later on that he was taken to some sort of nest on the ship that doesn't get much explanation in the first movie but they elaborate on in the second. Well um, the the nest thing is interesting because that that's a that's a famous deleted scene. Right, the, the the scene where Ripley finds the nest because oh okay I of, didn't know that yeah it's um <clears throat> it's famous because it suggests a very different life cycle from what you see in Aliens yeah right so in Aliens you have a fairly you you have a slightly slightly strange but not too crazy kind of insect lifestyle with with with, with some a couple of extra steps right you have an egg. From the egg comes a face hugger. The face hugger grabs a person. The person then, you know, then then an alien comes out of the person. And one of those aliens is is a queen in aliens, right? In Alien, there is no queen. There's just the one alien. And we know that it's just a regular alien because we see it and we see the queen in aliens. We see that they're different. But that deleted scene in Alien, what it does is it suggests that the alien by itself has some kind of way to turn people into eggs, which is what's happening to 
the the body of Brett and the nearly dead body of Dallas when Ripley finds it in that deleted scene. So there's actually a bit of, I guess, controversy about this change to the life cycle. That instead that 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 you know Scott and uh, really Scott and H.R. Uh, Giger had this interesting idea where there was some kind of way that aliens converted people into the eggs, but that all got thrown away for aliens for a more for something a little bit more relatable. Yeah, I, I didn't actually know that because uh, I, I know that later movies and books kind of establish that the way it works is there's there's a queen alien and the other aliens are like these drones that bring people to the nest so that the eggs can open up and infect them. Right. But, you know, that that original idea actually sounds pretty interesting, too. Oh and, yeah, and it it's, definitely it's a very fits, interesting idea. It, it it fits like the 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 horror movie the horror style. Uh, well, just so, a little bit so better. The alien style system, where the victims of the alien get turned into more eggs, has a, a a greater body horror aspect to it compared to you just get put into a cocoon and there's an other thing laying the eggs. Having you be converted into the eggs yourself is a is a much more you know Lovecraftian. H.R. Giger body horror thing going on. Yeah. And and it's it, it's nice that the movie takes the time to to give you all these reasons for the characters to basically end up by themselves in a lot of situations because if well, we so if we in Alien the crew is very small, right? It's seven people. Yeah. And then Kane dies. And that leaves six people. So they split into two groups of 3, which makes some sense. But then, th- then one person gets killed, so you end up with five people. Uh, then you have, then you have the, the 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 Dallas in the in the duck scene, where you have two people tracking the alien in Dallas. You have two two people stationed at the at the airlocks to open and close the doors as necessary, and you have Dallas himself inside the the ducts. You know, and as they get picked off one by one, their options get narrower as well. Yeah, and even towards the end, when it's just three of them left, you have, you know, Ripley has one thing that she's responsible for, and the other two are working together to do something they're responsible for, and they have to. Oh, separate. that's an interesting. Yeah, well, that's that's interesting too because the assuming you don't know how the movie ends, right? The first time you've seen it, the assumption is that the one person who goes off on their own is the one who dies, and they 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 fiddle with your expectations there by having the alien attack both Parker and Lambert. <clears throat> and that's funny because um, Parker's actually armed, right? Um, but the alien attacks Lambert in such a way that, that Parker is unable to shoot the alien with the flamethrower without killing Lambert. Yeah. And then basically Parker tries to attack the alien and he gets killed first. And then Lambert is too vulnerable and she gets killed next. It's a it's actually a neat little little shift because, you know, up until now, it's always been the person alone who's been caught and killed by the alien. And so they 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 flip it. They flip the formula for you for the third time. Yeah, and this it's refreshing to go back and watch it because the last Alien movie that I watched was, of course, Alien Covenant. And sad face. Yeah this this was a movie where everyone just chose to walk off by themselves to get killed by the alien. Yeah, well, I mean, for there's no the famous, reason. There's the there's that famously bad scene. In uh, in Covenant, where the one guy is like, where the the android is like, "Hey, do hey, look at this, look in this egg," and the guy's like, "Yeah, okay." Yeah, that's not even the dumbest one, I would argue. Like, like 
people had just died and one character is like, all right, well, I'm going to go wander off and find running water somewhere so I can bathe naked with uh-huh. unarmed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just it's just so stupid because that I think shortly after that, someone else is like, hey, they've been gone a while. I'll go investigate by myself. And it, it's just like the worst horror movie tropes. In a movie that well, so so that's that that's the thing that's worth maybe talking about is that Alien has a very horror movie aspect to it. It it it, it is a slasher movie, right? yeah. But at the same time, it's very well done, so that you could you could believe it as a as a serious science fiction movie or a serious, I mean, even a bit of a character drama in some places. Whereas a lot of those aspects get forgotten so easily in a slasher movie for, for the purposes of like, oh, well, we got to get to the next, you know, gore scene. We got to get to the next gag. And um, there are some really good gore scenes and some really good gags in uh, Alien, but uh, they still manage to develop and have characters interact with each other and all that good stuff. Yeah, and if you want to talk about really good horror movie endings, there's not that much that's better than Alien. I mean, I I'm, I can't think of one off the top of my head that's better than someone being trapped on a tiny escape vessel, realizing that the thing they thought they escaped from was on the ship with them. And ha- yep. <laughs> just that whole scene where she's slowly sliding into her spacesuit, and she has yeah. to sneak out into the room where the alien is still sleeping and buckle right. herself into a chair so that she can hope she has enough time to uh, to depressurize the inside of the ship. And right, right. It, it's just everything about that final scene is just like, after after all that happened, she still has to go through that. It was such a great ending. It was like, there weren't too many better ways that you could have ended that kind of movie. And, and you know, all the way up until the end had that suspense. Well, so there's there's also something really cool there just in the set design. Like, I was looking at it as I was watching it, and the alien's head is kind of cylindrical, like a curved tube, right? Yeah. And where the alien is, is you know, tucked itself in, there's a ton of curved tubes that are the same color and similar in shape to the alien's head. And so, you know, it, it's very it's very carefully designed to look like it's just a bunch more tubes, but one of those tubes is the alien head. And so... Um, it, it's very well done. Yeah, it's all done practically, so it's it's very nice in the movie. It was one of the things that I noticed on this watch particularly. Yeah, and it's so well hidden that it at one point Ripley is inches away from it before it like shifts in its sleep and scares the bejesus out of her. Well, it's, it sticks a hand out, but yeah. yeah. It it's just like she she was inches away from death, and and it's just like you you can see the panic in in her eyes when she's just like she yeah yeah turns around and runs off and hides in the uh, the room with all the suits. It's interesting that that shuttle doesn't have enough. It it th- th- there's a few technical aspects of of you know the alien movies that bug me a little bit like um how there's not enough there's not enough uh, cryopods. In the shuttle for the crew, you know, it's kind of like a Titanic situation. There's the, 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 their quarantine policy doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Like they're supposed to quarantine people who are exposed to something for 24 hours, but there's no actual place to quarantine them. Like, like it's just like, oh, leave them outside. Well, I mean, if you have a quarantine policy that says you know people have to can't get onto the main ship for 24 hours, then what you need is you need an airlock that leads into like a like a small medical facility or something like that. There's a lot going on technically that is like 
wait a minute, that's a little funky, but but you don't maybe, really maybe Wayland Yutani just didn't want to d- didn't want to uh, pay out for that. I mean, maybe, but <laughs> I mean, there's then, like, there's definitely nothing hidden in the movie about Wayland Yutani being kind of a gross company. Well, it, it's interesting because yes no. like a lot of the company on its face is taking care of everyone, and like, like they even take care of Ripley when she returns, and you know she's kind of thrown to the dogs in terms of her career. Yeah. But especially in the second movie, when Bert comes to her and offers her this well, work, it's, it's kind of like under... Things... Well, I mean, it, it's a it's a deal, right? Like, they're, they're trying to make a deal. Yeah. They're trying to give her a, a way to, to, to redeem herself, basically. And, I mean, I can see that working out. In, 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 I mean, like, the thing is, is that the later movies made the, made Wayland Utani out to be this really awful, evil, you know, vault tech kind of monstrous company. But in the first two movies, there's not really a whole lot of that. It's very reasonable for people to be skeptical of Ripley's story after 57 years, especially with 20 years of colonists on the planet. It's um, you know, all of the negative things that happen, and you 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 know you you get more of this in the director's cut a little bit. But you know everything bad that happens is is direct is directly based on Burke's actions. You know this one person, and you know he never says I'm you know I'm, I've got orders from higher up in Aliens. He's like no, I'm doing this so that I can get I can get freaking paid, right? Well, it's not just that. It's it, like when I say that you get the sense that there's the, it's this scummy company. It's it's kind of like given the actions of a few actors in the first and second movie you get this idea that there's there's this rot at the core somewhere where things are being... I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I mean, like, if you just watch the first two movies and you don't, like... And let's say you let's say you don't... You aren't sure whether Ash was put there because they knew that they needed that particular alien and they knew what they were getting into, right? If, 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 if Ash wasn't a plant... For that specific reason, like he might have been a plant because, oh, you know, we're pushing you through a new area where there might be transmissions, you know, places that places that people haven't been to kind of thing. Right. We're putting you through that area. And so, you know, there might be something there. So we're putting Ash on there to, you know, um, study it if, if we find anything. But like, you know, in the first movie, they're arguing about, you know, who gets shares and who doesn't get shares of, of the of pay after they come back. And, you know, it's like. You know, they're negotiating. In the second movie, all the bad stuff that happens is due to Burke's actions, right? I mean, it's the later movies that really give you that sense that, oh, this guy at the center of the company, this Wayland guy is the bad guy. And, like, that doesn't really happen in the first two movies so much. I don't know. I think I can give a little pushback on that. I mean, the thing that, the thing that really cements it for me okay. is knowing that upon discovering this organism... The computer that they were sent with, Mother, is instantly, you know, switches over to this this plan of, well, everything about the organism is more important than the crew itself. And sure. someone designed that system. So that, I mean, that gives you kind of a sense that there's... Maybe? I mean, there's a bit of an Asimov thing going on there, too, though, right? Like, um, in the first movie, the android is the bad guy. And the computer is the bad guy, and it's one of those things where like the computer makes a makes a makes a decision because we know that the computer is not getting transmissions from Earth. Right. right. If it if it could, then then all this information would have been sent, and you know that would have all 
it all it all made it. So, like, there's um you know you know the there's the um Asimov's uh, laws of robotics, right? And those laws are not implemented in Alien. And one of the things that they claim they've done right in by the time the Aliens starts is that they claim that they've gotten those rules right, right? So I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where it could have just been the computer making a making a you know a an impartial decision and saying the discovery of you know semi intelligent life on a separate planet is way more important than any nine or any any seven people. Well, don't that forget doesn't necessarily there's, mean... there's also the fact that the science officer was given special uh, access that uh, Ripley found well, out the later. the science officer. The science officer would... I mean, that that's normal. Like, they, they, they mentioned that Ash has access to Mother uh, a couple of times in the movie. So it, it, it's reasonable that he has his own chunk of the computer that he works with. That order that shows up, it's not clear whether that order came from mother itself making some kind of a value judgment or whether it came from the company um if you assume if you assume that it came from the company then yeah but if you assume that it came from mother making a somewhat you know a, a, a cold but justifiable uh value judgment based on the fact that there is no other intelligent life anywhere else in the universe as far as they know i don't know it's 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 i mean it's up there's in the air either way it I, I think the part of it that make part of part of what makes it good is that ambiguity, though, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Definitely. Because because you so, don't know so who like, you can you don't know when you're watching the movies, like well, or or at least based on the universe that they created. You, yeah. They could have made five more movies where you never really knew who you could trust and who you couldn't, just based off of well, you know, whether they worked I, I mean, for the there, company or not. There there could be good and bad people working for Wayland Utani. Like yeah, um, I mean, it seems shot, obvious right? that the board the people in the boardroom don't have any particularly uh you know evil intentions right well there's even in the in in one of the cutscenes uh in the director's cut of aliens right there's the guy who phones in he's like we think we found something but we want to make sure that we have the claim to it and that it doesn't that doesn't like go up to you and the guy's like look i don't care if you found <laughs> yeah. something as far as i'm concerned it is yours you know that guy's not a bad guy he's not you know he, he but like one of the things that the later "Quote unquote" sequels did is they made that company into into a much more uh, like a like a much more caricature type existence of the evil company with the evil CEO and the blah 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 blah, and that that stuff you know it was way less obvious in the first two movies. Yeah, I, I actually more don't remember what Wayland Yutani did in the third and fourth movies, other than you know resurrect Ripley for weird reasons. Well, so the resurrection of Ripley to to get the aliens' DNA and all that stuff is just more bioweapon stuff, right? Like, yeah, you know. But but like, I I don't actually remember like what the storyline was with the company in those movies, so I don't remember if well, they were. The company doesn't the company doesn't do anything really in the third movie except send a person who is cla- who claims to be the guy that created Bishop to talk to Ripley, and like that could that could be that, that's again ambiguous, right? Uh, he could be an android who's pretending to be the guy who created Bishop. He could be the guy who created Bishop, but he's under orders to, you know, get the queen out of Ripley. You know, there's a lot going on there in, uh, well, I mean, there's not a lot going on in Alien 3 with regard to the company. Because it all happens on this, you know, remote and isolated prison planet. Yeah. So. My God, what a ride it was. It was like, I, I, well, I watched Alien 3 and I was just like, wow. I mean, that, I... I I guess it can't get worse than this. I'll go watch the fourth one. And then I watch the fourth one and I'm just like, wow. 
<laughs> I guess it can't get worse than this. And then Alien Covenant happened, and I was like, well, that technically isn't a movie, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, um... it's it's very weird, though, because like, if, if you look at it from... If you look at it from the start of Prometheus going into Alien Covenant and then the first yeah. and second movie happen, it's actually a really, yeah. really, really rotten company that becomes a much better company. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they go to they go to a fairly. I mean, it's pretty obvious that that the Wayland guy is 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 the bad guy in uh, in in Prometheus. What's it called? Prometheus. Yeah. yeah. Like they, they don't they don't they're not subtle. Like like the first two movies are subtle. The the, the rest of them are not. Yeah, but that's like 25 years after the first movie and doesn't count. <laughs> that's not an excuse. I, I mean, Prometheus, like a lot of people didn't like that one. I thought it was okay to sit down and watch Prometheus. Oh, oh, oh I was... mean, Prometheus was okay except for a couple of really stupid characters and a couple of really stupid actions. Yeah, and the... the... But then, like Alien Covenant, I just... I, there's no excuse for that. Oh, yeah. You... Covenant, Covenant was just awful. I mean, it was just a bad movie. It wasn't even a movie. It's like what happened between what happened between that movie and the first Alien movie, where everyone became competent. I don't know. It's it's really strange. It's really strange that that someone would blow themselves up because they were so afraid of something they had seen, like like accidentally too, like not not even like a suicide thing, but just like you run screaming from an alien and your reaction. Is, you should know how a ship works if you're on a ship. To some degree. Yeah. You should know what will blow it up for a start. Like, that's that's a really big one, I think. I, I think anyone yeah, on the sure. ship should know what they can and cannot fire off in a ship in order to keep it from exploding. But that is where the first and second Alien movies really, shi really shine. Because the later movies were just people puking out things that you remembered from Alien to try and <laughs> get you to come see another Alien movie. And the worst part yeah. about it is that Alien Covenant is easily the worst of all of them. And didn't Ridley Scott produce that one or direct it? I think I, he directed it. He directed it? Oh my god. I think like so. I could understand right. if he produced it and and like the only thing I wouldn't have gotten there was why did did you not tell them to remove your name from it? But if he directed it <laughs> It's just like, what happened, man? <laughs> like, I do, I mean, it's it's one of those things where cell yeah, phones, directed by Ridley Scott. Yeah, yeah, cell phones have made it way too easy for people to phone things in. I think something like that. I, I don't know. I mean, he must have been on set, but like, but like, there aren't any sets in in Alien Covenant, right? Like, it's all green screen. Yeah, yeah, it's all garbage. And like, I mean, yeah, green screen. And like it, yeah, but like. Like one of the things I really wanted to, to to make note of is the set design in Alien and Aliens. Both of them have amazing, amazing set design. Like, first off, the you can never, ever, ever forget what the interior of the Nostromo looks like. You just never will. You know, once you've seen that movie, you're like, that's what that's what that's what the inside of the Nostromo looks like. And they, you know, there was that uh, that game. What was it? Alien Isolation. Yeah. Where they re where they reproduced it in a in a game and it's like you know it's an automatic plus twenty five points to uh, to atmosphere of of them you know uh, faithfully reproducing the elements of the original alien spaceship right but like we're talking about like detailed complicated walls on hallways we're talking light and the ability to like for, for the you know flashing lights and uh, whooshing. Uh, gas jets and stuff like that. We've got 
you know, we've got the, the, the meeting room where they all were, where they all like eat and, and talk and stuff like that. We have the, we have the room where mother, where you, you know, the, the, the room to talk to mother and the hallway leading into that, right? Like all of that is all very distinctive and very detailed and very good. But then you have aliens and you have these long hallways with all kinds of battle damage. You have some really amazing set designs in aliens too. Like, like, and it's all, oh, yeah, it's those, all there. Those first like, scenes where they first enter the colony after everything's yeah. been destroyed and the Marines are moving in. Those are, those are all wonderful set pieces. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, and, and, you know, they use it, you know, throughout the rest of the movie and, you know, to, to very good, to very good effect. Whereas, you know, you know, it was, it was a bunch of people sitting in a green room for the rest of the movies or for, well, not, not alien three, but like alien covenant was like, there wasn't anything real there. Yeah, no, Alien Covenant was, I mean, a lot of it was outside for one thing, and a lot of it was, Yeah, it's kind of like the, uh, let's call it the let's go to New Zealand and film things effect. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. They they save money by not having complicated sets, but at the same time, they're saving that money in order to spend more money on CG. Yeah, and yeah. an interesting thing has happened recently that I'm I'm kind of hope I'm kind of hoping people take note of, and you know mm-hmm. this might not sound like it relates to writing very much, but this is actually a very important step in the creative process. Is well, you know, being creative, and the Godzilla movie that came out recently, Godzilla minus one. Yeah, this movie cost about fifteen million dollars to make, and it is just it is crushing it at the box office. It is absolutely making bank. I, I think it's, uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I don't know what the worldwide uh, revenue is. I, I heard numbers in like close to a hundred million at one point, And it's just like from a $15 million movie, you're making a hundred million. 15, one five. Yes. One really? five. And the thing about that movie is it, it has CG and it has green screens, but a large portion of that movie is set is actual sets, actual set designs. Yeah. It, it's not all you know, filmed in front of a green screen. They built sets for all of this to take place on and they look gorgeous. And it's just, sure. You, I, I mean, you don't see that anywhere anymore. And then this movie comes out that, you know, the, one of the big things people used to say is, well, it costs too much to do set designs. The movie was $15 million. Yeah. And it's a gorgeous movie. I haven't seen it yet. I, I think I'm going to have to go see it. Well, uh, I, I, I mean, it, it helps it. Uh, having real sets helps the actors know what they're interacting with. You know, there, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, that helps like a lot mentally. too. Like one, of, one of the saddest things I ever saw was the the uh, the filming of some the of the meet? Marvel movies where they're just where, where they're doing all the green screen work. They're just showing them yeah. doing everything in like this sterile environment with like a platform and a big green screen behind them, and it's just like, wow, this is I well so. It's even worse than that. There's a picture, there's a meme picture of, um, I think Ian, Ian McKellen from the, uh, not from Lord of the Rings, but from the Hobbit movies, I believe. And he basically, he's basically sitting, he's sitting in a green, in a green robe on a green chair next to a green table with green cups and green silverware and green plates and a green <laughs> wall. And like, he had to just stop and put his hands into his face. And like and like de- depressurize for a few minutes at one point, and so there's just a picture of of him just looking about as sad as a person can look as he sits here 
in this in this room of everything being green facsimiles of everything else it, it's um it is absolutely amazing to me that it is somehow cheaper to create a goblet using computer graphics than it is to just like go to an antique store or like a one, one of them stores that sells like the dragony fairy stuff and just be like hey you got a goblet yeah, yeah. it's like yeah we got one right here for 15 bucks <laughs> yeah right well i mean yeah, it, it, I mean, there, there's more to it than that because you can't just go willy-nilly and go buy random objects and, and like, expect to maintain a coherent visual style. It, so it's more expensive because you have to have artists and, and, and craftsmen actually maintain this coherent visual style. Um, but, like, yeah, the, the, you know, it's one of those things where when CG started, people were like, oh, this is gonna this is going to revolutionize everything. But, like, it's also going to dehumanize everything. And then there was kind of this period where, like, everything caught in kind of like a like a good groove. And then the CG got more and more and more and more and more prominent. And it seems like there's some pushback now. I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's just... People became really invested in being able to do, like, really, really close-up scenes and do slow yeah. motion effects and... You know, the Matrix made famous all the dodging maneuvers that they use in a lot of these movies now where someone will dodge a bullet. Sure. There, there's just a lot of things like that that you would want to use CG for became the main focus of especially any movie that had action scenes in it. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's this strong desire for anyone making a movie to... Uh, and, I think, and I think this all started with the original... Uh, star wars prequels where they had the huge green screen backgrounds the big cg wide open spaces yeah 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. everyone wants to have these these computer designed stages for the actors to to act on basically and the problem with that is you get the same people that do that over and over again they get hired because they're good at it over and over again and you end up getting like like so many movies look exactly the same now. It, yeah, uh, the variety disappears. Whereas you know, set designers have to work with physical objects that you know might not be able to be made in the same way every time. And, and you're always getting different people to to do these things too. It's never going to be the same group, or if it is, they're usually working on the same set of movies where it makes sense that everything looks the same. Yeah, the computer thing. It's it actually, actually, it's one of the things about writing is that when you have something that you're good at, you tend to want to do something like that over and over again, because, yeah. well, I mean, it's just a feedback. It's like, oh, I make money doing this. I should do it again. And so if you're a really famous CG background designer, yeah, you might be able to make a bunch of neat looking different little backgrounds, but there's always going to be a, a sort of touch of what, what it is that you do. And, you know, that's not even taking into account that once you've been doing something for 20 years, you might get a little lazy at it and be like, well, this is the way I always do it. This is the way I'm going to do it here, too. Sure, sure. You know, I there hasn't been too much in movies in the past 10 years uh, in terms of the scenery that really impressed me. Whereas in the early 2000s, going up to like 2008, there were all sorts of movies that were doing things with CG where it's like, oh, that's that actually looks beautiful. Yeah. I mean, you can you can see that even in even in things that are really, really great, not just the things that are that 
you know, you get bored of after a while. Like the Studio Ghibli movies have a distinct look to them. You know, there's there's a lot of people that have been drawing a lot of things that are very similar since the 19... When, since whenever that studio started, uh, sometime yeah. in the 80s, I think. And That's right. You know, they they're I think they just released a movie called The Boy and the Heron. And looking at it, you're, you're kind of like, you know, not even taking into account the characters, because Studio Ghibli always kind of rehashed certain character looks to them. Sure. Well, they have a very distinctive character. Yeah. They have a very distinctive way that they draw faces and and figures. But like I like um I've missed yeah. a few of the Studio Ghibli movies between Spirited Away and The Boy and the Heron, but just looking at the trailer for The Boy and the Heron, it's just like this looks a lot like Spirited Away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm I'm sure it's a great movie. I mean, Studio Ghibli doesn't really go wrong except for Tales from Earthsea. And the, <laughs> But it's it's definitely one of those things where these are the same these are the same people largely that work on these things all the time. You're going to get a lot of the same look. I guess it works okay if you're you know you're telling a different fantasy story each time in a Studio Ghibli movie. Well, I mean, I mean, this is one of those things that that Ghibli tries to do, and and we've seen videos of uh, Miyazaki being angry when they can't do it. Right? It is build or draw these very naturalistic and um, wild scenes or, or like wild environments. Like um, just, just to, just to remind there, there was that video that you showed me of Miyazaki, like saying to a bunch of animators, like, okay, it's like, it's like when a snake falls out of a tree and the whole group of animators just being blanks, just blankly staring at him. And he's like, Oh, we're doomed. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> He was so angry like, that they had never seen a snake falling out of a tree. <laughs> but like at the same time, that 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 naturalism to what is being drawn gives it kind of a timeless air, right? Like it's not it's not the it's not the sharp lines of the nineties. It's not the it's not the you know what I mean? Like like the, the it, it it looks it, it has its it has its own look, but it but they draw different things with that look. You know, and the things that they're drawing with that look are are things out of the real world, or they're things out of out of fantasy. But they, you know, they're always mixing and matching with like a, a new fantasy world of some sort or some group of fantasy creatures, and it's always different. But like you, you, you know, you still get the 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 fee, that Ghibli feel to the to the to the drawings. Yeah, yeah, and. It's, I mean, it's one of the reasons that people keep going back to, like, like I can think just off the top of my head, there's, you know, obviously anyone who's watched any anime has seen an anime character run, and a lot of times they're drawn running a lot of the same ways, or they're, they're drawn running in weird ways, and then you go to a Studio Ghibli movie, like, uh, like in Spirited Away, she's, uh, the, the girl in it is being dragged through these, uh, these flowers, and she sort yeah. of turns around and looks backwards and she's got one hand up in the air and she's running. And, and you're watching this like, I've seen people run like that before. This yeah. was drawn with a more natural running uh, aspect to it. It's attention to detail like that is similar to the idea of what you want to do with set pieces. Uh, it's It's not just in writing that you want to sit back and think about, well, what will make this set you know what makes what makes a scene look good or sound good or read well to someone yeah uh, and, and and having things like 
like an aliens when you've got the busted up uh metal grating with wires hanging down and that's like in the foreground of the scenery while the characters are standing in front of it so like one of them is half cut off you're just seeing the back of them through this part of the stage a lot of that has been taken away with cg because when when you're working in front of a green screen you've got a lot less sitting in front of the actors the actors are usually filmed in all of these movies in you know you've got like they're almost their full body three characters at a time full body yeah. shots nothing impeding your view of them in any way and this is the majority of scenes that you're seeing filmed it's always it's a lot of characters standing around. it's almost like watching a stage play except they're turning you off from using your imagination because they've supplied you with all the scenery with computers yeah yeah no i think that's a good point i mean and it's not that cg is bad it's not that it doesn't have its uses it's not that you need to go back entirely to using set pieces but like even on even in stage plays they would very often wheel in a foreground (laughs) you know yeah yeah that happens uh it's a lot of work to do foregrounds when you're doing green screen you end up with the ian mckellen effect where you've got to move a bunch of green stuff in front of the the actors and they have to pretend to know what the heck it's going to be and that and then that's even worse because apparently in modern filmmaking half the time the characters are acting they don't even know what's in the fore or background (laughs) yeah it's all gonna be it's all gonna happen in post and they don't know what it is or if they do it it gets changed yeah or, or it gets changed so so I don't know. I think uh I think Alien is definitely a an, another one of those masterclass works to be studied by anyone, especially people who are who like science fiction. Not not even for the horror or alien aspect of it. Just the way that they created the setting of that movie uh and the atmosphere and the way that the characters had to exist on this remote space basically a remote space station away from home yeah right you know it it's it it shows a lot of the important features of that they've got the room where they were sleeping in the freezers they they have a cafeteria where they all group together and eat their meals they they've got the the various hallways some of which look very industrial and others which have a science fiction a, a brighter a more brightly lit look to them yeah and you know the you get the feeling watching the movie that just because of the couple of scenes they show you at the beginning of the spaceship moving through space, yeah, you're very aware that all of the interior of the ship, you're still aware of the of them being adrift in space the whole time. Like you, you don't really see any windows or anything where you're looking out and seeing space, but you know that's where they are. You never get taken out of that. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's very claustrophobic. There's a lot of like padding on the walls things like that because you know you know if gravity fails or whatever they'll need to be able to go along the you know pull themselves along the walls things like that yeah. there's a lot going on i mean we i kind of i kind of uh said before we started this one i didn't know if i was going to be able to bring my a game and talk about the writing and everything and you know what what tips and tricks and things to look out for so i, I don't know if we really hit all the points that i wanted to talking about these movies but i i don't know i don't i don't think there's i don't think there's any reason for us to go on 10 hours talking about alien and aliens uh the important thing is yeah sure well so like you know it's it's interesting because 
uh, in Alien, the, all the characters have pretty linear like things. The you know they, there's not really a whole lot of like character growth in Alien, right? right. The, the, the um, you know, Kane shows himself early on to be the curious one, and he's the one who ends up getting facehuggered. You know, Ash is calm, doesn't really help out. He turns out that he's trying not to help deliberately. Dallas is is uh, brave and respected by everybody, and you know the loss of him really makes it difficult for the rest of the crew, makes them desperate. In Aliens, on the other hand, there's a lot of characters that have an arc with another character, where like they um, do something wrong and then they redeem themselves, something like that. So, <clears throat> or, or or even or, or even that they start out seeming like a good guy and turn into a bad guy, like Burke does. So I'm just kind of listing these out, like. The relationship between Bishop and Ripley in Aliens is really, really interesting because she doesn't know that he's an android until he does a thing that only an android could do. And then she's very angry and standoffish with him. And then by the end of the movie, he's redeemed himself, right? You know, there, there's there, there's also an interesting point in uh, Aliens where Bishop doesn't know, or, or, or this is something that this is something that that happens in some of the later movies, and 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 isn't really addressed in the first movie. But it's like the idea that aliens don't recognize these humanoid androids as like prey animals, because Bishop doesn't know that the aliens won't attack him, right? He's he's like I don't want to. He's like I don't want to crawl down this tunnel and get this thing going. I don't want to do it, but I have to because I can't let you people get hurt because I decided not to do this action. You know, by the end, Bishop and Ripley, Bishop, you know, redeems himself. After just barely avoiding unredeeming himself, right? Ripley climbs back up out of the bowels of the atmosphere processor, and the <clears throat> the queen is on her tail, and she told Bishop to stay, and she gets up there, and the ship's not there, or the dropship's not there, and she's like screaming in anger, and then all of a sudden the dropship reappears. Bishop's like, Yeah, you know, I had to I had to circle around because things were getting too crazy there, and I couldn't you know, I you know, Hicks is on on the dropship with me, and I can't let him die either you know it's it's one of those things where you know he was getting conflicting orders but he really did do his best to to accomplish them yeah you know there's gorman right gorman starts out and he seems competent when he's talking to ripley with burke and then you learn that he's not very competent by the way that he deals with the first mission that they that they go into oh he, he uh, just drops he off a cliff that. immediately he's he's just well, like well he, he does right but at the he same doesn't time know what to do the minute something goes wrong he doesn't know what to do but then he gets knocked out of the movie for a good chunk of the movie. And that is that is an interesting thing. But then at the very end, he redeems himself with Vasquez, who Vasquez hated him because he basically ordered them in there without having them properly prepared for it. Uh, and then he didn't call them out when things went sideways. And, you know, at the end, Gorman goes to try to rescue Vasquez and, and you know, redeems himself in her eyes. And in everybody else's, too, because he sacrifices himself for you know his people rather than just sitting in the comfy chair in safety right yeah. like um we've got hudson hudson is like 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 the like the tech guy in in the in the in the outfit right he 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 does the bypass on the door he's the one that does all the computer stuff and he's the one that finds the colonists on the computer because he knows how to do the computer stuff he does deals with the electronics he's one of the people who's got assigned to the the motion trackers and you know he has this personality where he's very jokey, but then when things start to turn over, he gets very freaked out. And then by the end, you know, he he's he's kind of gotten his stride again, 
thanks to uh, you know Ripley encouraging him, stuff like that. Yeah, you know we have um, there's just yeah there's a lot more there's a lot more character arcs in Aliens. Norman and Vasquez, you know Burke Burke, going from being you know seemingly a friendly harmless guy to you know pure freaking evil is is another arc right. There, there's just a lot going on character-wise in Aliens that doesn't really happen that much in in the first one. So, it, 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 and, and of course, you know, you do that because you're doing a more you're doing a more heroic movie instead of a slasher film. Like the the, the point of a slasher film is that almost everybody dies, but uh, the point of um, you know like a military sci-fi action thing is that you know there's a you know there's a lot of losses on the way, but at the same time, there's kind of a at least some somewhat uplifting of, of an ending. Um, you know, they trashed that for Alien 3, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the ending of Aliens is quite positive. Yeah, I haven't actually gone back and watched Alien 3 since I saw Alien Covenant. I feel like it's almost going to be refreshing by comparison. It's, I, so it's not, it's not a terrible movie. It's just that it has such a, such a dismal tone and such a, uh, such, such, such a lack of, of, of like, meaningful characters in it that it just doesn't do anything i for... i remember watching it and i i just because i watched it way after it came out i i didn't watch it back yeah. when it originally came out in theaters it was i mean it, it was relatively recently it might have been like 10 years ago but <laughs> it, i remember watching it and just like oh this is it's like the alien movies going through their grunge phase yeah, there's a, there's definitely an aspect to there, that. There wasn't everything is very dirty. Yeah, there wasn't much. The to set it. the set design is very sparse. Is another thing in Alien Three that that, that set design is not there. Yeah, they they probably couldn't uh, that, get that the budget wasn't. for a third movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that worked out because the second one was so popular. I would have expected them to have a huge budget for the third one, but well, I don't even remember when the third one came out. I feel like it came out way after the second one. It was only a few years. Oh well. It, but it, it definitely because that was like I mean, that was the nineties, right? I'm pretty sure it was the nineties. Uh, yes, and it just it, it definitely had that. So 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 Alien was nineteen seventy nine, Aliens was eighty six, Alien three was ninety two. Alien three was so it's 90- about the okay. same just dis- yeah it's about the same distance between them about six years six or seven years. Yeah, so so we were well into the uh, the beginnings of the alternative rock era. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I don't know how much of an ass. I don't know how much. I mean, I don't know how much of a. Like, it, it, it makes me think of. But th- that's what it is. That's that's what the grunge phase really is here. It's uh, it, it's a, a large, like, very, like, down and dirty look to everything that was coming out at the time. And aliens did not need that to be a part of anything that they were involved in. I mean. Yeah. It didn't yeah. even take place in space, as far as I remember. Wasn't it a prison colony on a planet? Yes, it was a planet. Yes. And so, it, I mean, it lost a lot of what made both those movies interesting, and then it ended like it, it ended in the dumbest fashion. Like, why would you end this way? So, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it felt that, like a that's, series closure too. It, it felt like it yeah. should have well, stopped well, after that, but then they needed to that, make that, more, so then they had to have Ripley back. So then, you know. <laughs> come up with a stupid reason to bring a character back i mean i i don't know it it there's a lot of movies that i i, I definitely don't think it was a very good movie no it wasn't great I, I mean i think i think it 
I think people re- remember it worse than it, than it was a little bit, but not by not not by much. Yeah, well, kind uh, of like com- com- kind of like the Lost World. Yeah, in, in Jurassic yeah, yeah. Park, like like Jurassic Park was a masterpiece. Lost World was not all that great, but if you compare it to any of the recent Jurassic Park movies, it's actually a solid film. <laughs> yeah, decent. E- even for all the stupid things that happened in it, it's it's just like yeah, but it's not as stupid as this, and it, at least it's like. I mean, the worst thing about The Lost World is that I read the book before I went to see the movie, and yeah. Jurassic Park somewhat followed the original Jurassic Park book, but even so, they were both phenomenal. So the, the book stands right, by right. itself, the movie stands by itself. Right. The Lost World, the book, was also a very good book. Right, right. The movie, they should have tried to stick to the book a little bit, just just a little bit. There was nothing <laughs> in that movie that was even closely related to the book that it was just people ca- it was just people collecting paychecks yeah but, much. but that said it was not nearly as bad as the lost world or god forbid what was it the fallen kingdom uh, yeah yeah jurassic world 2 fallen kingdom oh my god the, the, the most the, the, the most unintentionally correctly uh correctly titled movie yeah of all time. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit more was the the cutscenes in Aliens because I'm very familiar with these. All right, and we talked a little bit about the uh, about the daughter scene, right? That's early in the movie. Burke comes in, he's like, "Here's a picture of your daughter." You know, she died when she was 57, or she died when she was 65, or something like that, uh, which was two years previous to us finding you. And and that's something that I think really probably should have made it into a theatrical version because it does help motivate Ripley and, and Newt, right? But then. I was looking at this, and there's another series of cutscenes uh, later in the movie. The the turrets are completely cut from the th- theatrical version. Oh, I thought that was a really good scene. Well, so I thought about it a little bit. And it is a really good scene in the sense that it looks cool and it sounds cool. And, you know, there's some fun stuff going there. But then I thought about it a little bit more carefully, and I realized those scenes have no effect on the plot whatsoever. No, they don't, but I think... The reason that they're a good scene isn't just because they look cool or anything like that. I I think yeah. if, I, I think it really added to the idea that you know they came, uh, they came in a, in a way that you know they thought they were over prepared for the situation, right? And they quickly find out that they have that they have automatic turrets firing off hundreds of rounds, and you know, alleg- you were assuming that every time it's firing, it's killing some of these aliens. And right. by the time they run out of bullets for these things, they realize just how bad a situation they're in, and yeah. they are woefully underprepared for what they have to deal with. That you know, uh, so well, I mean, they kind of know. All, so, so I'm going to push back a little bit there because they already know that they're in a bad situation because those four turrets are the best equipment that they have, and they know it with, before they even set them up. They're like, "Yeah, we have five rifles, two flamethrowers, one of which is broken." Some grenades. Oh, and these four turrets. So the turrets are like a big deal. They're like, this is the best stuff we have. But the thing is, is that it doesn't... And for the purpose of, of a movie, you know, you're always trying to cut time, right? So here's the way the movie works in the director's cut. The aliens have a wave. The aliens get shot by the turrets. The aliens retreat. The aliens have a wave. The aliens get shot by the turrets. The aliens retreat. The aliens have a wave. They, they they get through a different way and they attack the Marines. That's how it happens in the director's cut. In in the in the theatrical cut, 
the aliens just wait longer until they have a wave and they attack the Marines. And, and you know, it's the same scenes. It's not like there's like fewer aliens in the in the director's cut for them to fight. So like, yeah, like realistically, even though those turrets are cool and even though those turrets do have like kind of a purpose as far as like explaining how bad the situation they're in is, they already are in a pretty bad situation considering that the whole installation is about to explode and the turrets don't have any effect on the plot. So it's it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting cut because it's a cool scene and it does show some things but at the same time, from a movie-making perspective, or even from a storytelling perspective, it does not advance the plot. Well, not everything um, in a story so just... necessarily has to advance the plot. I mean, if you take out... No, no, I agree with that, but like... Um, but, but like, I, I think that... Okay, so this is after they've already suffered a defeat, too. So, yes, yes. So now they, they've seen the enemy, they've seen that it's kind of this horde, and they, they retrench, and they have this weaponry that they're hoping to protect themselves with, and just... Just getting to see them... I mean, I, I agree that it, it makes sense why that was one of the scenes that got cut. But yeah. at the same token, getting to see the characters watching the the countdown of the bullets and, and just oh, wondering, yeah. like, is this going to end? Like, just how much is out there? You know, it, I mean... Right, right. Well, I, theoretically... So, so there's a couple of points Theoretically, there. they should know exactly... They, they know how many aliens there yeah. are. Because the, 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 because there's a... I think it's cut... But in the director's cut, there's a there's a scene that says you know Hadley's Hope population 159 or something yeah. like that. So we know that we know that they're limited to 158 aliens since Newt counts. Um, but like, yeah, I, I mean, it's a very tense scene. But like, yeah, I mean, like sometimes sometimes if you are trying to cut some, so I guess this is something I'm thinking of for like word count. If you're writing a story that has a limited word count because you're trying to publish it yeah. with a particular thing like this is something to think about is that what what scenes actually advance the plot and you know uh what scenes are cool but don't actually do anything and it's an interest i I just think it's interesting that they chose to cut out a very interesting looking and an interesting sounding scene that just didn't advance the plot and you know you might have to make those kind of hard decisions when writing to a limit to a word limit as well so kind of thought there was something to that maybe i don't know what do you think no i i think you're completely right there and actually it's uh when i was watching the director's cut there's i i've got a blu-ray copy of the collection and in both the director's cuts like in in the first one ridley scott shows up and he he talks for like three or four minutes about things that uh, you know about making the movie and the things they added in or left out of the director's cut yeah. Then James Cameron shows up if you pop in the second disc for, <laughs> for yeah. the director's cut. It's like 30 seconds of him just saying, yeah, there was a lot we wanted to put in, but, you know, the the thinking at the time was, uh, you know, movies have to be a certain length. And so we weren't able to put all this in, but here's the full ride that we wanted to give you. And and then it just like, he, he's just like, enjoy the movie. <laughs> it's yeah. just like 30 seconds of him talking as opposed to Ridley Scott going into like four minutes of an introduction i thought it was kind of excruciating detail yeah well not excruciating but like he he no no it was almost like uh it was almost like james cameron is like why are you talking what am i doing here (laughs) why am i here i don't (laughs) uh but you know that's i i can completely see where the 
especially at the time because he he is right like they wanted they they always tried to keep movies to around the 90 minute mark in that uh that right. time period for various reasons you know television play reasons and uh yeah, there, yeah, there yeah. were usually more th- movies coming out in theaters at the time so they tried to keep shorter run times so that you know theaters wouldn't discount them just because it's like well this movie is like four hours long We've got five other movies people want to see. We'll we'll only be able to play these. Yeah, this so so this was in the days when like a big movie theater might might have six screens. Yeah, but they had twenty movies. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's uh. So let's see. Another cut scene is the uh, scene in the dropship where Hudson gives his monologue about. Ripley, me and my team of ultimate badasses will protect you. That's cut from the theatrical version. I am glad and, that um, one was cut from the theatrical version. I was, I actually hated that scene. I, I didn't, I don't, I don't hate that scene. But the thing is, is that everything else, it's a, it's a very good example of of tell don't show that scene because you kind of know you've seen them loading missiles yeah. into the thing. You've seen all the different weapons that they have. You've seen, you know, that they have this giant expensive ship with, you know. They have a tank, they have all this good stuff, and it's like, having him monologue about it is not, is a definite case of tell, don't show. And so that, that one being cut, I totally understand, but it still is a fun, it still is a fun couple of lines. It was fun, Especially when he ends with, yeah, it's funny. And it, it gave uh, Paxton a little bit more chance to, to emote early on, before he starts to, before he becomes the, 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 the freaked out guy who's very, very uh, scared. Game over, man. It gives him a little bit more. It gives him a little bit more of a of an arc too, because he's he's confident, and then he's very not confident. Yeah, it's like I mean that that scene kind of establishes that you know he's very, he looks confident, but it's like it's a lot of it is just talk. A lot of it is just him like riling yeah, yeah, yeah. himself up, only only to change later. But the reason I hated that scene so much was was pretty much almost exactly what you said, where it was more tell yeah. than show. But absolutely, it, I think it was I think it was more that. I'm I'm listening to him talk and it's like this is this is exposition and this isn't how a human being talks in any circumstance. <laughs> like like well, there there was way too much of him prattling on about the gear. You're right and it's just like he he wouldn't even be thinking that Ripley would know what he was talking about in most cases. It would have been a better scene well, no, if he I hadn't mean, gone into detail about what gear they were carrying. If he had just run off with some jokes and kind of riled up Ripley a bit. Maybe, but but he is the tech guy, so like he's like, oh, we got you know phased pulse something or other, and he you know he makes a sound of it. He goes like whap or something like that. You know, it, it's a very Hudson moment. So I don't uh, know. There were a lot of characters ah. like that, and like I, I remember, I think there were characters like that in Highlander too, and I just I never okay. saw the appeal of putting those that in the movies. Just uh, fair enough. I, I don't know. Maybe I mean, it's just a personal preference thing, but there's definitely a lot more tell than show there. And that's that's yeah, not yeah. always I, I mean, a bad I, I, thing, I, I, but the way it was executed uh-huh. was, I thought, kind of poor. A friend of mine is, like, a huge fan of the first Highlander movie, and he says the second movie does not exist. <laughs> <laughs> well, the second movie t- says that the second movie doesn't exist, because they released a director's cut from that, which changed one line that I am aware of, that completely changed the context of all of it, and it's just like, I don't understand how this fits in with a- anything <laughs> else in the Highlander universe. <laughs> See, I have I haven't seen the second movie, and I've only seen the first movie once, so I guess I can't really speak to that one. I, I think it was it was just like an offhand line about how they were all space aliens or something. Oh, yeah. really? Oh god! And, and, and so it's just like, <laughs> then why is it called the Highlander? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're from the planet Highland SP eight hundred one. 
Right, right. No, it, it was, uh, like, I watched Highlander 2 thinking that, thinking that I was going to get a follow-up to the first movie, and instead I got something that was, it, it was almost a repeat of the first movie, but, like, let's let's retell it poorly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, and it, it doesn't make sense either, because, like, what, what was the difference between them having the game on one planet as opposed to as compared yeah well, I know. like why why would you I mean, also I, have to kill the ones that are on the other planet is there some distance factor to the quickening that we're not aware of i i don't know <laughs> i am sure i don't know so one interesting aspect that i think is worth mentioning in aliens is the ticking clock so everything everything's kind of like dismal but like workable right they're like Okay, we don't have many weapons, but we have these turrets. We have, you know, we can barricade ourselves in. And all we have to do is wait, you know, for 17 days for the, uh, for the, for, for us to, for them to realize that we're, that we're overdue. Right? And then you have Bishop and he's like, I have bad news. And then he shows them the, the, uh, the, the, the giant flame coming out of the atmosphere processor. He's like, we have four hours. I don't know. There's there's a there's a lot of effort put into these like ticking clock events in movies these days, and like like this 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 is a this is a pretty good one because it actually stems from actions that the characters took earlier on. Right? They were told not to shoot inside that area because of the heat exchangers. They did shoot. Now they have this other problem on their hands. Um, you know, it's kind of one of these things where, you know, yes, you saved your life for the moment. But unfortunately, the long-term effects are going to be pretty significant. I don't know. Maybe, maybe someone should have been wearing a Gorman was right shirt at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wasn't Gorman. That was Ripley. Well, he no, he was the one that gave the order, though. And well, no, but he wouldn't have given the order if Ripley hadn't made it made him aware of it. No, the point right? is a the the point is that all of those characters, as far as they know, are just getting getting an order from this guy, and two of them immediately disobeyed the order. <laughs> And right. then, then going back, it's just like, oh, wait, he was right. We shouldn't have done this. But then again, they probably would have died if they hadn't. So yeah, I, I guess it. Uh, I, I guess it's all even in the end. But nonetheless, it's that's a very James Cameron thing, I think. Like, yeah, I, I don't know how to relate that exactly to Terminator Two, but there's there's a bit of a ticking clock element in Terminator Two in the sense that. Uh, it's time travel, and so if they don't resolve the issues in a way in which all takes place within a certain amount of time, then well, the the the, the, the ticking clock in in Terminator Two is three years away because the movie takes place in 1994, and the Skynet attack happens in 1997, according to the official um, lore in the movie. I believe. Yeah, and in reality, so, like, that's when it happened that, in reality too. Well, 1997 what was the uh, the end days in Crystallis, the SNK top-down Zelda clone for uh, NES. And, so, and they all yeah, got it right. They all got it right. That's why we skipped that year. We skipped 1997. Yeah, didn't you know? I, I did not. We, we totally just we just glossed over that one. We were like, nope, we uh, we still got stuff to do. We're just going to go right to 90, 1998. We will get back to 97 when the world is ready to end. Yes. And it's a lot more like Crystallis. But yeah, there's uh, <laughs> there's some that was how that seemed to be what James Cameron did back then, because a movie would come mm-hmm. out that was kind of like a, a really good thriller sci fi ish movie and he would do a sequel and turn it into an action movie. He did. He did that with Terminator, the original Terminator movie. 
was this movie where two people were being hunted by a monster that seemed like it was unstoppable. And the second movie, there's another monster that's unstoppable, but in order to make it an action movie, they supply the good guys with another monster who is pretty unstoppable unstoppable himself. (laughs) Who is similarly unstoppable, Yeah. yeah. Only slightly less unstoppable than the thing that they're fighting. Well, there's, I mean, there was definitely a lot more... There was definitely a lot more gunplay in the second Terminator movie as compared to the first one. Yeah, and it was it was more action than than thinking. Yeah, a lot of action, not so much, not so. I mean, uh, yeah, less thinking. There was still a strong chase element in both movies, so. I don't yeah, know. the the chase element seemed more seemed a lot more dire in the first movie just because you had oh, people yeah. that had no way to prepare for this, whereas in the second movie, they had the help. The only thing that made it really feel dangerous was the fact that you had uh, one of the robots that could disguise itself as almost anything. Well, there's also the fact that in 2, they actually get away, and then they decide that they have to go back in order to in order to deal with Cyberdyne Laboratories, or yeah. systems, or industries, or whatever it's called. So they put themselves back in danger, which puts them back in the chase. But yeah. Yeah, I don't have... I mean... I could, I, I mean, you know, I wrote, I, when, when I, as I was watching these, I kind of wrote down step by step every, every writing element that I kind of saw going on, but most of it's, I think we've pretty much covered. Yeah, there's, I mean, we looked at a couple of scenes, uh, you know, the, the scene, the scene at the end of Alien is just by itself, just that couple yeah. of minutes is a good scene for someone to sit down and watch and just observe all the elements that make it suspenseful because it's kind of like a self-contained like imagine ripley in the shuttle you mean yeah right? ripley in the shuttle it is almost a self-contained okay. horror movie yeah so so it's like it's got a lot of the elements of what you want to do if you want to give readers a thrill or, or build some suspense you know it has ripley realizing there's a danger it has her hiding from the danger it has her coming up with a solution and then having to trek back out and face the danger and yeah. then it, it ultimately has a suspenseful resolution where for a moment you you you're not sure that she's going to succeed you know the alien is caught on the door and it's hanging on the ship and then she can see it trying to crawl back into the ship before she finally fries it with the thrusters yeah and it's just a couple of minutes and it's it's a good scene to watch you know pay attention to the expressions and everything that ripley is doing uh, during that scene, yeah, pay attention to the way the alien is uh, acting because the alien is terrifying sitting there asleep, and th- that's an imp- yeah. that's an important thing about well, it, well s- sitting there asleep you don't even realize it's there because its head is uh, blends in with the the equipment. Oh, but, but once you do, but it's one, it's clearly visible. She she once looks you, out. Once you know it's yeah, there. she looks yeah. out and sees it still well, sitting no, there I... sleeping, and it's the most terrifying thing in the world. Well, well, no, it's it's awake at that point. She, she, she's walking right up to it, and then it wakes up and shoots a hand out at her. That's what spooks her, and that's what tells her that it's there. She was, like, several inches away from it, not even realizing it was there, until the hands yeah, shot then, out. Then so. she goes into the room, and she observes it through right. the porthole, and it's... Well, she knows it's, it's there now. It's still lying there. It, it's, it's like it's sleeping and hasn't stuck. woken up yet. Well, no, it, it's, it's stuck. It wedged itself in. And it can't get out easily. It didn't look like that to me. It kind of looked like it was sleeping. I, I always saw that scene as the alien was sleeping because it made like it made a couple of motions like it was, you know, kind of groggy and turning its head and almost like it sneezed at one point. And the hand shooting out 
seemed to be just a reaction of it, you know, brushing up against something while it was sleeping. Because the hand didn't grasp at no, her in no, any no. way. It, it didn't try... It, it went straight for her. It, it, couldn't, it couldn't reach her. What happened was that it climbed in. The way, I, the way I've always interpreted that scene is that the alien climbed in and basically tried to hide. It basically found a tight space that it could get into and, and, and sit. And, and, and it kind of wedged itself in. And then Ripley was fiddling around near it. And it was like, you know, half asleep, but it reached a hand out. It couldn't reach Ripley. Because if it could, it would have reached her, right? Uh, but the hand shot out. She sees the hand. And she freaks out. She goes back. She gets the suit on. It's wedged in there. It's And it's not really sure whether it needs to get out, right? Ripley went away. Then what she does is she starts spraying it with gases as she, after she gets out. She gets out in the suit. She's sitting in the chair. She's buckled in. And she's she's using the buttons on her chair arm to spray it with, like, cold or hot gases or something. And it freaks out. And then it tr- it unwedges itself and tries to go after her then. That's, I, that's the way I've always interpreted it. I think scene. you should rewatch it and and try to look at it from the sense of the thing crawled in there and fell asleep and tell me what you think one day. Like like tell me I think because it, it just I, I mean I'm picturing it in my head and I just can't see it as it was trying to squirm its way out in any way. Like like I I can't really see that it was stuck. It really Oh cuz cuz she's spraying with the gas and it takes it a few takes it several seconds to get itself out even though it's being sprayed with the gas and screaming. It's, it's getting sprayed with gas and waking up and and not exactly sure what's going on and so then after that you get you, it it clearly Well no but gets but, out. but that all happens after the hand darts out. And the hand darts out in a clearly aggressive way. But it doesn't grab at her and that's the thing. It it seems like she she like sp- she she it seemed like it was a scene where she had partially awoken it but it was still asleep because it kind of like it kind of like turns its head after that when she runs off into the other room like it's falling back asleep yeah. and she's watching it for a moment and it's just sort of sitting there it doesn't seem like it's really trying to get out of anything in any way well it's it's not any it's not trying to get out of it get out of there because it cuz she went away it, the stimulus is gone I don't know. I I feel like it would have uh, it would have tried to attack her more, but I don't know. I've ne- I, that is that's an interesting interpretation though, because I I never would have thought of it as being stuck there. I, that was just immediate for me. It was just like, oh, it was asleep, and she almost woke it up. And... Well, like, like I mean, there's not time for it to fall asleep because like it's been like four minutes since it killed two people, kind of thing. Like like no, not at all. It's, you know, it's, it's it's probably crawled in there because it was the only quiet place in the entire ship. Everything else is this. This red alert and uh, lights flashing and noises, and it probably uh, scurried off to go to the one quiet place it could find, wedged itself in, and took a nap. <laughs> so it was like, screw this, I'm I'm resting for a bit. It was hibernating. I don't know. It, it it's been it's been only. I mean, the whole destruct sequence takes ten minutes, right? She she starts the destruct sequence, and it says, "You now have ten minutes." She tries to turn it off at five minutes. Um, and fails. In those first five minutes, the, the ten minutes down to five minutes, the alien attacks and kills Lambert and Parker. And then... Um, sure, but... And then and then it, it heads her off, right? She's she's going towards the shuttle, and it blocks her. So she runs away, and she tries to turn the destruct sequence off. That doesn't work. So the alien just saw her. It's between her and the shuttle. She, you know... The five-minute mark passes. She can't turn off the, the destruct sequence. She goes back to the shuttle. She gets into, into the shuttle and gets it far enough away from the ship in those five minutes that the blast doesn't kill her. 
I don't know. I mean, I don't think it had time to fall asleep. Well, remember, she she it, takes I, I off. Think it, I think it was trying to hide. She takes off and she's on the ship for a while. She's flying away before she stands up and starts looking around at things before she eventually finds the alien uh, sitting there. Like it. Yeah. It's I, just I, one brief hand movement that doesn't really, and it kind of like pops up. It doesn't. It doesn't like reach out towards her. It's just the hand like sort of moving up. And then retracting. As it, 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 it moves fast, though. And, and there's a sound, too. Like it, it noticed a, something that it's trying to grab, but it can't reach. I, I, yeah, like it's not like it's not like the, it's not like the hand dangles off of a, you know, out of a ceiling tile or something like that. Like it reaches out. It just can't it just can't get to her. I don't know. I, th- I think I think I'm firmly on team alien sleeping on this one. <laughs> I mean, it might have been trying to sleep, but, like, she woke it up and the hand darted out, and after that, it's awake. It's not going back to sleep. Well, well no, it's it's like a reaction. Like, it's sleeping, and it, you know, it had a reaction in its sleep because something brushed up against it. She didn't, well, I don't know. She was, I, I, she was moving stuff that. around near it. Yeah, but it, but it, but it tried to, it tried to reach for her, and it did so quickly. The, well, the alien seems, seems like a creature like... that would not just give up the minute she leaves. Well, no, that's my point, is that it, it doesn't give up. It's it's trying to extract itself from the place that it's stuck. But it, but we never see it struggle until it's being hit by the gas, at which point it's not sure what where it is anyway. So it's I I think there's more evidence for it to be sleeping. I think this is my favorite part of this, by know. the way. It's just us arguing yeah. about whether or not the alien was sleeping. Like I I, I don't know. I wonder it's, if uh... this was a I, I wonder if this ever came up anywhere before. <laughs> I have no idea. I gotta find the original script and see if it says if it was stuck or sleeping. It, it looked for all the world like it was sleeping to me. That's that's my point. But like, tr- yeah, try going know. back and watching it though, and like having having the idea of it sleeping in your head instead of it being stuck. No, I, I mean, I definitely feel like it. It was trying to. It was dormant. Like it was going dormant. I just don't think it had time to fall asleep. Like 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 I think it wedged. I think it was more like it wedged itself in there to try to hide, so that it would be you know less likely to be seen and you know the idea was that it was gonna you know pop come out later basically but i think it wedged itself in like it's it's a very tight space for that large alien um and we see the alien go through a bunch of like narrow spaces but at the same time like it, it seems like it wedged itself in there and and i don't know that i mean like there's definitely like an element of it being like semi 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 comatose or something like that but like once the hand darts out, my assumption is that it's awake, because the hand darting out is not like, is not like a sleepy person rubbing at their eyes. It's a, it's a, it's a dart out, not a, not a, not a random kind of leisurely grab. And then I think that the the, the couple of minutes that she takes putting the suit on, is not enough for it to to um, extract itself from the place that it wedged itself in. Plus, plus like she's gone, so it can't like smell her anymore, uh, and and so like. Maybe it's like, well, did it go away? Should I wedge myself back in? I always, I always saw that head movement that Ripley's watching as she puts on the suit, as it kind of like looking around to see if prey is still available, and kind of deciding that maybe it's not. I mean, it could be the case that maybe it just, maybe it's like the aliens in the second movie where they kind of just curled themselves up into the walls and they didn't really see yeah. any reason to attack anyone right away. Well, the, the the what 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 triggered them was the sound of the newly born alien dying. Right, they flame it. It screams, and as soon as it screams, you start to see the aliens move. So they like, yeah, they 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 go dormant 
but as soon as a threat is observed, they you know move into action. Basically. But I mean that's still basically the same as sleeping. I just I just don't see any. I I, I don't really see any evidence of it being stuck in that particular scene. Well, the amount of time it took for it to get out after she starts spraying with oh, gas. I mean, the okay. So imagine you're like you crawled in somewhere and you're just sort of chilling. And you yeah. you start getting sprayed in all directions with some kind of gas. You you don't have it's not it's not all directions. It's one direction. There's one little gas. All right, tank. so you're you're basically being assaulted by something and you don't know what and a an animalistic instinct to fend it off. It's probably just you know it, these are probably just defensive maneuvers on its part. You know, flailing at this thing that's blasting it in the face and then it crawls out. It pro it, it even that doesn't really imply that it was stuck. It just implies that it was uh, flailing about because something was attacking it. Well, if something attacks me, you know, if some if something surprises me when I'm in laying down in bed, I can get up pretty quickly. Yeah, but if you're surrounded by things it, on all sides, it takes you a second to well, get out. That's my point. I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. But but it, it was wasn't stuck, it, it wasn't that it was stuck and couldn't get out. It was that upon being attacked, it flailing about. It has limited movement range before it can crawl out. It's not really stuck. There, so there's there's no reason to think that if it really wanted to reach out and grab her, that it wouldn't have been able to. That's this is the this is probably the dumbest thing we have in this whole two hour talk. <laughs> yeah, we can we can cut it here. No, I but think. Uh, no, it's fine though. It's uh, this this is the fun stuff. Like I yeah, I guess I, so. I'm I'm trying to like come up with a reason that I could think that it was actually stuck that. You know, sticks. I think it's. I think. I think it's obvious that it was stuck. I because it couldn't. It couldn't reach its arm out all the way to grab her. It took it several. It took it two. You know, approximately two minutes to get out of the place that it was that it was wedged in when it started getting sprayed with the the stuff in the face, and it didn't like get out immediately when uh, when the hand came out too. Like it didn't like like I think it was trying to trying to like figure out whether it needs to get out and trying to figure out how to get back out in a in a reasonable fashion. And the the uh, the gas jets were were a, were a motivation, but it took too long. Like if it wasn't wedged in somewhat, it would have gotten out much faster. Well, the whole I mean, the whole point of Ridley blasting that gas at it, Ripley, seemed to uh, seemed to be to get it out so that she could blast it out of the airlock. So yeah, that's right. You know, I I don't I don't I don't know. I just. No matter how I look at it, I just I just can't see it as it got stuck in there. I I can only see it as it was asleep. And I think I think I think it I think it stuck itself in there. I think it wedged itself yeah, but, in. Like even the hand thing, like to me that looked more like so. So like when a horse is swatting flies off of its backside with its own tail, that's kind of the reaction that I'm picturing. That was is no it, no 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 it, no, no, it, no. It felt emotion. Watch it again. The it, hand comes out. The, the the hand comes out. There's a sound. There's a, there's a musical sting. It's definitely trying to grab at her, but can't because it's wedged in there. It's wedged itself in there. Like it, it, it's a it's a I was just out of reach of the killer moment. I'm gonna have to give it a watch again now. I I think I think our point though was that this is a good setup. This is a good couple of minutes to observe. To write something suspenseful. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just, well, I mean, the fact that we can talk about one one aspect of it for that long is is a is a pretty yeah, significant. No, you know, usually point in its favor. usually you've got something where it's it's like where it's like you, you either tend to convince me or 
you you kind of make me question it, but I I'm not seeing it this time. I'm gonna go back and watch it again. I'm really not seeing it. I it it was asleep as far as I can tell. I mean, watch the the the, the, the moment that you need to watch is the hand jar- darting out. It's quick. It happens in a couple of frames. There's a musical sting and there's a sound at the same time. I... And that's what that that's what clinches it for me is that the alien was reaching for her. She was just out of reach. Once it reaches for her, it knows that she's there, but it doesn't know whether she's a threat. Um, then she goes away, and it's like, well, do I do I need to get out of here? Should I stay here? I'm not sure. It stays there. She starts spraying with the gas, and it's like, okay, I'm being sprayed with gas now. Now I need to get out of here. And it takes it, uh, you know, 20, 30 seconds to make its way out of the place that it wedged itself in. I don't really see, I don't really see any difference between what you described and what could have just been a reaction of it being woken up slightly. Cause it, cause it does, it, it well, like looks well, around for a second and then it just like tuckers back in. <laughs> no, no, it's looking around the whole time. No, and, no, it, it's, you know, head, if, it's head does not react until after she's run away. Like, like she's, well, we don't see it because we don't have that camera angle. We see the hand, the hand darting out is, is consciousness. It is conscious at that point. That is not necessarily the case. That that could totally just be a reaction, like 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 a dog kicking its no, leg no, in that, a that, dream. No, no, because because of the musical and sound stings that happen at the same time. That, as well, grab. you do a musical sting when something happens that's supposed to surprise the the character that sees it. She was she had a shock. It gets a musical sting, and no, but it make, the, the alien makes a sound too. Like th- there's there's several things going on at that point that suggest that the alien knows. That prey is nearby. It is being hostile toward that prey, and then the prey runs away, and it's wedged in there. It doesn't get out because it's like, well, is she gone? Should I just stay here? This is driving. Me. But then she starts. This is driving gas. me absolutely nuts. Okay, do you remember the Robin Hood animated movie from Disney? Do you yes. remember the scene where Robin Hood is lifting the keys off of the Sheriff of Nottingham, and no. he's slowly like guiding the keys up, and they kind of brush across the sheriff's chest, and a, he reaches up and sort of like rubs his face and mutters and stays. Oh, as, yeah, that's that's yeah, what yeah. I'm thinking is going on with this alien in this scene. No, I don't think that's right. I I don't think there's any way we can resolve it either, unless we look at the script. I might have to look at the script now. I really want to know. Like, I want to know how wrong one of us has to be here. But I mean, the the, the reach is not a sleeping reach. The reach is an awake reach. It's. I mean, we don't know how an insect would react like that, or whatever that creature is. We we don't know that. I mean, the the, the, the no, reach. Okay, so like, I am maintaining that the reach is not a sleeping. I reach. have every dog I've ever had. If it is sleeping and you pet it briefly, almost every time it'll like kick a leg or something, and then five seconds will go by, and then it'll kind of like look up and look around at you to see, oh, someone's petting me. That was the exact feeling that I got watching what happened with the alien. It like kicked out an arm and she runs off and hides and it like and then the next scene you get is this alien with its head up looking around seeing what the heck was that and then it just sort of goes back to what it was doing. I don't I don't I don't see that it goes back to what it was doing. I see the it trying to figure out prey prey is not here anymore. I can't smell it, so I'm going to stay tucked in here where I wedged myself. All right. Well, <laughs> I I, I think we're at an impasse, and this yeah, is this has I been mean, great because I I think we've done this for fifteen minutes straight now. <laughs> something like that. This should get it. We should just clip this out and give it its own little uh, thing. <laughs> I I could do that. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So this is uh, this is our discussion of alien and aliens, I guess. Yeah, and a- anything to add in particular that you want to uh, 
Well, also talk well, I, about I think I made the mistake of wanting to talk more about the scenes and the characters and some of the differences that happened than actually talking about any writing technique, but that's okay. I mean, it's important to understand how scenes come together for these things. It, it's important yeah, I, that I mean, you do th it's important to look at things in a logical sense, as we've said before, where, you, you know, he doesn't yeah. just crawl into this event because it sounds fun. He, he does it because right. they have a plan and they're going to route this alien to get it off of the ship. If you want a master class in how not to write a movie, besides Tales from Earthsea, actually a much, much Tales better one would be Alien Covenant, yeah. which is not actually a movie. So if you watch that and don't do anything that it did, then you will have successfully not written a non-movie. There you go. And no, we are not going to do an episode where we uh, re-watch Alien Covenant and talk about it in that detail. That is off the table. That, that, that is off the table. <laughs> that movie was atrocious. It is not going to happen. It was it, that non movie was atrocious. <laughs> that creature from outer space was atrocious. That object, that abomination. Like, like the, if if Alien Covenant was an organism discovered on a planet from outer space, Mother's orders would have come back. Uh, would have come back to vent the sucker. <laughs> Mother's orders would have been self destruct. Now, <laughs> yeah. don't even bother. Do not let this escape. Basically, all right. I guess we'll call it here. Uh, this has been episode 13 of the Wordy Pair podcast. We are slowly devolving into a thing where we talk about movie scenes. Hopefully we can pull back into the writing aspect soon. Oh, this one was kind of, this one was just random. I was like, hey, want to talk about the differences between Alien and Aliens? Which we did in the first five seconds by saying one is an action movie and one is not. And then we went off the rails. <laughs> well... I mean, we, we went into more detail, you know, of course we could do like a scene by scene discussion, but that would take dozens of hours and that's not, that's yeah, not going to be fun for anybody. We went over those opening scenes. That was, I mean, that. I, I think, I think we've covered a decent number of scenes yeah. to kind of make our points and, and, and we've, I've, I've tried to bring writing back into it a few times. So we, I think we did yeah, a pretty so we, decent. I stood here. in your way on that almost every time. If anyone wants, if anyone wants to, to ask questions, throw the questions at the, the YouTube uh, if anyone wants to know why Rudy's wrong about the alien or... being stuck, just email me at... And if everyone wants to know why Justin is wrong about the alien going back to sleep after grabbing at someone immediately, then, uh, yeah, you can just uh, send me an email. <laughs> I mean, why he's clearly wrong. <laughs> clearly, clearly wrong. In our next episode... Episode... <laughs> our next episode, Blood Feud between Justin and Rudy... <laughs> Next episode, the wordy single person. <laughs> Two go in, one come out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm Rudy. And I'm Justin. And we are out. Have a good week. for listening to the wordy pair podcast our passion is all things writing world building and getting into the weird and wonderful world of fiction we hope you enjoyed our unique takes if you did make sure to like rate review and subscribe to get your weekly dose of writing weirdness we'll be back soon but in the meantime hit us up on twitter for rudy it's at rudolph underscore cone and for justin at ninja mouse chew see you next time on the wordy pair podcast <laughs>